Well, good morning. Welcome. Happy 4th of July to everybody. I want to start with a quiz. How many of you have been here for almost an hour by now? You got here a little early about nine. You ready for the nine o'clock service? Anybody come on, have guts ready? I know I talked to some of you about five and nine. There you go. Well, we did put it on social media. We sent out a letter. We put it on email, lots of different ways. We won't talk about you're missing all of that. And when people wander in the next like 20 minutes or so, we're not going to laugh at them when they come in because they're coming for the older service. But isn't it good to be back together? If room feels a little fuller, restrictions are gone. I don't know about you. It sure feels good to be together. Yeah. We're in a series that we're calling Connect. And in that series, we're reminding ourselves that as we connect with God, he then sends us to connect with others. Connecting with God is not an end, it's a means to an end, and it's almost a cycle then. We connect with God, we connect with others. Then we connect with God, we connect with others. And that cycle just repeats and repeats, and we're growing, impacting others as that cycle repeats. Now we've had a great time the last few weeks beginning the series, and this morning we're gonna look at an ancient figure that is super contemporary. And we can learn how to connect with God through some of his struggles and how he goes through that process. His name is Jacob, and his story is recorded all the way back in the book of Genesis. So if you have your Bible, it's easy to find. It's the first book of the Bible. You can start turning back there. We're going to look at the last major struggle of his life from chapter 32, but it's going to take us a little bit to get there. There are about 10 chapters in Genesis that are connected to Jacob. Now, we don't have time this morning to walk through 10 chapters. We're not doing a series on Jacob. It would be cool sometime to do that. But let me give you the two big themes of his life. I'm sure if you understand something about these themes you'll be able to understand the two tracks that his entire life runs on. You need to know something about the themes, and those themes will reach their climax in chapter 32. The first theme is blessing. Some of you are saying, I, you know, I only hear that word in church, blessing. What is that? If you yawn at the word blessing, that shows you don't know what blessing means. Let me explain it this way. Blessing is the sense of inner fullness. Blessing means you feel loved, valued, and that your life matters. Aren't they the exact things that everybody's living for today? Aren't those the things you're striving for? You want to be loved, people, you want to be known, and you want to be loved. You want to be valued, and you want your life to count, right? You want it to be meaningful. We're reminded, you know, if not on a daily, on a weekly basis, that, you know, checkout day comes for every one of us. And we don't want to waste the years we have. We want our lives to matter, to count for something significant. We want to be loved. We want to be valued. And we want our lives to matter. That's what blessing is. And so Jacob's whole life is trying to find that blessing. Jacob's life is trying to find love. Jacob's life is all about trying to find value. And Jacob is trying to find a life that matters. That's what he's about. That's the first thing. The second theme is wrestling or fighting. Every time you turn around, Jacob's fighting with somebody. He's fighting with his dad. He's fighting with his brother. He's fighting with his uncle. He's fighting with his wives. He's fighting with God. Why is he fighting? To get the blessing. 
Picture it this way. Jacob has a hole in his heart. He doesn't feel loved. He doesn't feel valuable. He doesn't feel that his life matters. And so he goes around fighting with people, trying to fill that hole on the inside. He thinks maybe his dad could do it. He thinks maybe his brother could do it. He thinks maybe his wife could do it. He's trying to fill the hole in his heart. And so he's fighting with people, trying to get that blessing, that sense of inner fullness, and nothing seems to work. Well, that'll get us to chapter 32. Let me tell you a little bit about Jacob's journeys and some of those struggles that he has. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about God's promise to Abraham and Sarah. And it connects to Jacob's story kind of like this. God says to Abraham and Sarah, through you, I'm going to bless the world. There's that word blessing. I'm going to bless the world. The whole world will feel loved and be loved. The whole world will have a sense of value. And the whole world will matter through your descendant. Every generation is going to have a chosen child that will one day lead to the ultimate Messiah coming. See how it works? So Abraham and Sarah, you're going to have a kid, and one of your kids is going to be the one. And through that one will come another one, another all the way down. Well, Abraham and Sarah, a couple weeks ago, we looked, had Isaac, and Isaac is the one. And it's through Isaac that that whole kind of progression is going to go on. And that, you know, Isaac was Jacob's dad. Abraham and Sarah, Jacob's grandparents. Well, that really brings us to a problem. Jacob is a twin. Well, which one is it going to be? Is it going to be Esau? Is it going to be Jacob? Esau's born first. Now, probably only a couple minutes first, but he's first. And in that culture, firstborn gets the blessing. Isaac chose Esau. God chose Jacob. That's a problem. Does God ever choose something and you choose something else? Who usually wins that battle? Isaac chose Esau. And that made cultural sense, right? Hey, the firstborn gets the blessing. The firstborn, because of the law of primogeniture, the firstborn gets all the inheritance. The firstborn gets everything. Esau's the firstborn. And Isaac likes Esau. Esau's a man's man. He's impulsive. He lives out in the woods. He's a hunter. He's, he's a tough guy. Jacob, not so much. Jacob's not a man's man. Forgive me, not politically correct. Jacob's a mama's man. Jacob likes to hang out around the tents. Jacob likes to cook. Jacob likes to clean up. Isaac chooses Esau. God chooses Jacob. That's a problem. Can you feel the hole in Jacob's heart growing a little bit? He doesn't feel loved. His dad, who gets to pass the blessing, is going to pass it to my older brother. My older brother, I'm not loved by him. He thinks he's the one that has the blessing. I'm cut out. I'm not loved. I'm not valued. I'm not the one. My life doesn't matter. Boy, that hole in Jacob's heart's just getting bigger and bigger, isn't it? Well, anyway, Jacob doesn't trust God enough to figure this out, so he's going to help God. He pretends to be Esau, because Isaac's blind by this point, we're old and blind. 
He disguises himself with his mother's help, right? He's a mama's man. He, with his mother's help, he disguises himself, goes in and says to Isaac, who's ready to give the blessing, hey, dad, I'm Esau. I'm here for the blessing. Isaac knows something's up, right? Come a little closer here. You sound like Jacob, but he has, he has, Esau, he has Esau's clothes on and hairy arms and, Oh, but you smell like Esau, right? Esau must have stunk, right? <laughs> you smell like... So anyway, Isaac was deceived and he blesses Jacob just like God said. But then Esau comes home. Goes in and says, okay, dad, where's my blessing? At that point, the scripture says, Isaac trembled. He didn't tremble completely, totally, because he gave the blessing to Jacob. He was trembling in repentance. He was trembling because at that moment he realized, God's the sovereign king. I'm really not. I may have chosen Esau. God chose Jacob. You know what? Jacob just got the blessing. Well, Esau's uh, not having all of that. So Esau kind of makes a promise. Esau says, one day, one day, mom and dad will be gone. And when they do, here's what the verse says, I will kill Jacob. Esau, the man's man, the impulsive hunter, he says, I will murder my brother for stealing the blessing. I put the fear of God in you, wasn't it? Your older brother, man's man, hunter, hunting for you? Jacob takes off. And he leaves. Now, look, look, think about that. He leaves the promised land. He leaves his inheritance. He leaves his family. All the things that entailed the blessing, he's running away from. You ever feel like that when you don't do it God's way? You choose to go your way, not God's way. You wind up forfeiting everything that God said you should get. So Jacob's running away from all that. God shows up while he's running away. And God says, uh, Jacob, one day I'll bring you back. And as I promised your mother, you are the one. Jacob, just like a scheming, conniving, manipulating little jerk says, if you bring me back, if you protect me, if you give me what I want, then maybe you can be my God. You know, whenever I read that, I always think, boy, it's, it's a wonder we don't have like a big hole right where Jacob, as the lightning struck and took him out. But God doesn't do anything. Jacob runs. He runs to uh, his mom's brother, his uncle Laban. Now he's going to wrestle with Laban. So he was wrestling with Esau, right? Esau and his dad trying to get the blessing. He runs to Laban. And if Jacob had an MA in deceit and deception, uncle Laban had a PhD in deceit. So he shows up with Laban. And he begins to work, right? And as he's working, 
Laban comes and says, oh, Jacob, you're doing such a great job. But you know what? Even though you're family, you shouldn't work for me for free. What do you want your wages to be? Well, Laban had two daughters. One was named Leah, the older one. The younger name was, well, the younger one's name was Rachel. Now, the Bible said, look, I'm not making this up. This was, you know, not in a shaming, politically correct culture. It says, Rachel had a great figure and she was fine of faith. Right? Rachel's hot, right? <laughs> Leah, not so much. Here's what it says. Leah had weak eyes. Now, that doesn't mean Leah was cross-eyed, right? That doesn't mean Leah couldn't see far away. That means when you looked at Leah, she hurt your eyes, right? <laughs> so Leah, the older one, not so much. Rachel, the younger one, yeah, she's the one. So Jacob, right, the guy with his hole in his heart, he doesn't feel loved, he doesn't feel valued, his life's not mattering. Uncle Laban comes and says, what do you want your wages to be? Jacob says, I want Rachel. If I had Rachel, the hole in my heart would be filled. If I had Rachel, I'd be loved. My life would matter. I'd have value. If I was married to somebody like that, I would have everything I ever wanted. I want Rachel. Laban says, okay, work for me for seven years, and I'll give you Rachel. Seven years? Wow. Wow. Jacob does. In fact, the Bible says he loved Rachel so much. He put, she was his blessing. So much so that it seemed like seven years flew by. Time for the wedding. Now, remember, right? Everybody's wearing, we're past the mask days, but back then they wore masks, right? So they wear a mask. All the women have masks on. Um, lots of wine flowing at the wedding. And so now it's time for the bride and groom to kind of go into the wedding tent and, you know, kind of how that goes. And, and here's what it says. So Jacob goes to bed thinking he's with Rachel. But he wakes up with Leah. And my guess is in the middle of that wedding ceremony, you could hear early in the morning, Laban! <laughs> yeah, he thought he was getting Rachel. And he got Leah. Laban says, well, I'm not sure where you're from, but around here, the older one has to get married before the younger one. Jacob says, you deceived me. Uh-oh, I bet he choked on those words, right? <laughs> Talk about deception and scheming. Yeah. He works another seven years. And he gets Rachel. And you can just imagine the family disharmony with Leah and Rachel as two wives of Jacob who loved Rachel and not Leah. And that mess is a different story. Well, one day God calls Jacob from Laban's property, from that foreign country to go back home. God said, you know, look, Jacob, you've been here long enough. It's time to go back to the land of promise. Back, time to go back to your inheritance. Time to go back to your family. You're the one, right? You're the one in this generation. Go back home and get it. So he rounds up all his stuff. God's given a whole bunch of stuff. He begins to travel home. And as he's traveling home, he says, uh-oh, Esau's there. 
So he sends a, a couple messengers to Esau. And he's still kind of the scheming little Jacob here, right? He's trying to make nice with Esau. Esau, God's given me lots of stuff, and I want to share some of it with you. I missed you so much, Esau. Yeah, can, can we get together? The messengers come back. And here's what they say. Jacob, Esau's still there. He's a whole bunch of stuff. And he's on his way to face you with 400 men. Uh-oh. They're not coming to welcome him home, he thinks. They're coming to take him out. Now we're ready to read our story. Turn to Genesis 32. I want to read his prayer in 10 and 11, then we'll jump over to 22 where the climax begins. In verse 10, Jacob's beginning to get it, right? He sees, he knows Esau's coming, 400 men. So he says, Lord, I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I've come home and I'm two camps. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me and also the mothers with their children. Jump to 22. Well, that night Jacob got up, he took his two wives and his two female servants and, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him till daybreak, but not Esau. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go until you bless me. The man asked him, what's your name? Jacob, he answered. The man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed them there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. Jacob's still wrestling, still wrestling for the blessing. Yeah, but this time he's wrestling with a stranger. We're kind of told at the end of the passage, the stranger is actually God. You know, I wanted to read the prayer in verses 10 and 11, just to kind of show you how God does the strangest stuff. What do you expect when somebody prays like this? I'm unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you've shown. I had nothing and now I have everything. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau. I'm afraid he'll come and attack me. When somebody prays like that, we expect God to come in comfort. God to come in encouragement. Instead, God attacks them. God tackles them, takes them to the ground, wrestles with them. Like, what? Let me tell you what I think God's saying. I think God's saying this. Jacob, you're an idiot. You've been wrestling your entire life. You've wrestled with your dad. You fought with your brother. 
You've had it out with Laban. You fought with your wives. Your kids are a mess. You've been fighting your entire life trying to get the blessing. You haven't realized, ultimately, you have been fighting with me. Jacob, I am God. The circumstances of your life, the situation of your life, it's not by happenstance. It's not by coincidence. Jacob, my hand is all over your life. And when you try to find in someone else or something else what you can only find in me, you fight me. Jacob, stop being an idiot tonight. Hmm. Does that message need to be heard today? Kind of interesting, right? Well, we learn that he's wrestling with God. In fact, a few verses kind of point that up in this section. The man said, let me go for its daybreak. Jacob replied, I will not let you go until you bless me. Isn't that strange? If you're attacked by someone, you fight with them, you wrestle. But what are you fighting? You're fighting to get away. Jacob, the idiot, has all of a sudden gotten lots of spiritual smarts. He now realizes, I've been fighting with the wrong people my whole life. I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And then we get this really weird, this paradoxical verse in here that kind of shows us the things we need to know. Next verse. When the man saw, now this is the God, right? When God saw that he could not overpower him. What? I thought God was omnipotent. When God saw that he couldn't overpower Jacob. What? And then he touched his hip and his hip was wrenched, dislocated as he wrestled with the man. That doesn't make sense, right? God couldn't overpower him, but he touched his hip. And the Hebrew word is this. Ding! Just touch it. Ah. He touches his hip, and his hip's dislocated. Jacob walks with a limp the rest of his life because God touched him. But God couldn't overpower him. What? Must be a lesson in that because we can't figure it out. Well, let me give you two lessons as we end. Two lessons. that Here's our ancient figure, ancient Jacob, with very contemporary lessons. Are you courageous enough to uh, identify and recognize and admit the hole in your heart? You're looking for a love that can't even be filled in the best marriage, aren't you? You're looking for a love that love from your kids can't provide or grandkids, your parents. You've got a need for love on the inside that's insatiable, isn't it? Um, you need to feel value just like I do. But if you look around, do you really feel like you're adding value? You know, do you really think your life matters? Or, you know, at the end of the day, do you just say, yeah, I went through the motions again, right? Went through the to-do list. And so at the end of the what do I have here? Maybe a little money in a bank, you know, and a resume, a retirement gift. What, what I got? Did my life really? But here's the big question. We all have that inside, that desire, that need for blessing. Where are you looking to get it filled? Who are you fighting with and wrestling with to fill it? You know, 
Some of you have marriage issues because you're pointing to your spouse, trying to get your spouse to fill your hole on the inside. They can't. You're looking for your job. You're looking for kids. We point to others and we're fighting with them, trying to get them to do what they can't do. Only God can do it. You need to connect with God for the blessing. Only that will fill the hole in your heart. Lesson one. But you've got to connect with God personally. Another way of saying that, you connect with God all alone. Now, look, I'm not denying the need for community. We talk, we're in a series on community, right? I'm not denying that community is absolutely essential for our understanding of God, for worship. Community is essential. But you also need time alone. You need time to process what happens in community, process what's said in community, and the reality of life, how life goes. Here's how it goes. There are moments in each of our lives, maybe the biggest moments in our lives, you will face those moments alone. Maybe you have been or will be diagnosed with a terrible disease. You may have friends, pastors, kids, spouse around you. But when you lay your head on the pillow at night, you're all alone. And you wrestle with that. If you're up for a major surgery, you may have family and friends and people come to pray for you. But when they stick that needle in your arm and push you out of that room into the next room that's cold, um, you go into that room all alone, don't you? And when people you loved and have fought with to fill the hole in your heart die, you're all alone. So here's Jacob. He's all alone. Rachel's gone. Esau's coming. He thinks he's coming to kill him. The kids are all gone. Jacob is all alone. All alone. It's there he wrestles with God. And here's another one. Maybe a, a little paradoxical lesson. We connect with God in weakness. Only in weakness. Jacob is not on vacation when he wrestles with God. You know, he's not in the gym feeling strong. He knows he's at the absolute end of his resources. His flocks don't matter. His money don't matter. His wives don't matter. His kids don't matter. His possessions don't matter. At that moment, the promise doesn't matter. Nothing matters. Esau's coming. And he realizes he is absolutely weak impotent, unable to do anything about it. He's at the end of himself. But you know what else? We can only meet God in his weakness. Isn't that weird? That's that weird verse again. And God can't overpower Jacob, but he touches his hip and he's crippled for life. What? Here's how that story goes. God could have been victorious. He could have wrestled Jacob to the ground and taken him out. And if God would have defeated Jacob, Jacob would have been wiped out. God would have been victorious and he would have lost Jacob. But instead, God comes in weakness, allows himself to kind of wrestle and not be defeated so that he wins Jacob. Isn't that the story of the Bible? If Jesus would have come in power and might, 
He would have been victorious in one a day, and he would have lost all of us. Instead, he comes in weakness. He comes as a human being. He comes in ways that he can be slandered and beaten and crucified and executed. He comes in weakness so that he wins us. So I've got a little assignment for you. Here's your assignment. I will ask you if you've done it. And I know it may, may seem like a big deal, and it is a big deal, but you, you need to do this. I need you to carve out 30 minutes this way, anytime. Today, tomorrow, anytime, 30 minutes. I want you to read Genesis 32. And think about the things we talked about. If you want, read all 10 chapters. Read Genesis 32. 30 minutes, mark it down, check it out, get alone. 30 minutes, read Genesis 32. And either in your mind, on your phone, or on a piece of paper, write down where you're looking for the blessing. I have have the guts. Where where are you looking? Is it in your spouse, your kids? Is it in your job? Is it in your finance? Where are you looking for the blessing? Where are you looking for love? Where are you looking for value? Where are you looking for your life? Just make a list. And then ask yourself, is it working? And if you're honest, you'll be just like Jacob and say, you know what? Everything on this card is nothing. In your weakness, ask God for the blessing. Ask God to show you his love so you can feel it, not just read about Jesus coming and dying and rising. Ask God so you can feel it. Thank God for the value that he places on you. And thank God that he calls us to partner with him in continuing what Jesus started by connecting with God and others and impacting them so that our life will matter. And I suspect if we follow kind of the Jacob trajectory here, it'll be a little sobering for those 30 minutes and after. Maybe like Jacob, you get up, walk with a little limp, but your life will be forever different. Let's pray. Father, thanks for this story. And even though there are parts of it that are really uncomfortable, because we don't want to read ourselves into these sentences and into this account, and yet, Lord, uh, we're just like Jacob. We have a hole in our heart that we're fighting and trying to fill, and nothing's working, but we keep fighting. And, Lord, you stand waiting, and when we come, you kind of attack us and say, why don't you open your eyes and come to your senses? Lord, help us to... uh, Not to go through the Jacob process, but to go through the Jesus process of coming to you at the end of ourselves, coming to Jesus, asking for what only he can give to give to us. We pray in his name. Amen.